Hey, what's going on, everybody? It is Monday at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, my name is Andre Ander- Anderson, and I am both host and founder of BSTL. And of course, what does BSTL stand for? It stands for Building Something uh, That Lasts. And if you haven't done so already, can I just encourage you to do something for me? Please go ahead, like, subscribe, and share. Um, We are on all different kinds of platforms, inclusive of Spotify, um, Apple Music, and if you want to go directly to uh, the site that this is housed in, this is um, at RSS, and you can just type in BSTL, and I'm certain that it will pop up. So anyways, uh, we have another great topic uh, that I'd like to cover off with uh, you guys today. Um, I'm going to be talking a little bit about organizational uh, leadership. Um, This is just called that, organizational leadership. Nothing fancy this week, uh, just kind of getting straight to it. So let me start here. Um, As a child, a few times, a bunch of us as guys, friends of mine, um, we had an opportunity to go fishing. Now, I know that some of you all... Uh, you, you get into your car and you make a day of it or a weekend of it. You drive out of town. Well, let me just tell you, my friends and our parents, we didn't have, (laughs) we didn't have the kind of people that were going to be driving you anywhere to go fishing. Uh, so we got into, um, our, got on our bikes, I should say. And we went to this place called the Rouge, uh, ravine. It's like in this little dip, you know, a couple of left turns and a right turn and boom, there you are. Um, and this place is not like a tremendous place for fishing, but we had learned over time that you could go there and catch something. So as we're there um, fishing, uh, most of us that don't know anything about fishing, we kind of bunch together and we're like putting our bait and the line together and throwing it in and wiggling it around and no success. Like when I say no success, no success. Uh, But one of our friends who he was um, a little bit um, better at fishing because he'd actually gone fishing uh, with other family and friends. Uh, He went a little bit further on down uh, from this little runoff lake type of thing. And he was just fishing. And after a while, this guy caught about two um, or three fish. Uh, He ended up throwing them back in. Uh, to the water because we weren't there to fish to bring it home to eat. We we were just trying to uh, do something during the summer months. And it was out of that experience, I got to be honest with you, as I'm thinking about this organizational um, leadership, um, sometimes I think we don't, um, we're not intentional enough. Yeah, that's where I want to start off. Um, we are not intentional enough at positioning ourselves um, no matter what organization we, we work for um, or collaborate with, we're not always so good at positioning ourselves to really uh, catch something. And when I say catch something, I'm really talking about um, being successful and being able to make a difference and having impact in your organization wherever it is that you might work. So this guy that goes a little bit further on down the line to do his fishing, he has come to the understanding that in order to catch these fish, you've got to go where the water is a little bit deeper, um, where there's less confusion, and you've got to kind of wait, but you have to place yourself there um, intentionally if you hope to catch something. Now, 
one of the things that I'm not sure that most organizations are doing enough is really getting under the surface. When we think about culture, um, we're not just talking about office culture. We're not um, we're not talking enough about the culture of the individuals that are working with us in our our organization. So let me explain it this way. You know, I, I live in Ontario. And um, Ontario is this flatbed uh, for people that are here from all over the world. I mean, you can go anywhere downtown in Toronto and literally probably find people from more than 70, 80, 100 countries that are here. And they're here sometimes vacationing. Um, they're here sometimes um, because they've chosen to do life here. But the truth is, this is a very diverse place. And one of the things I do love about Canadian culture, and no, we're not perfect, but I do love the fact that we do embrace um, people coming to this country and trying to start a life. And no, the system is not perfect, so I don't want to paint this thing in a way that says that you know Canada is the standard for all things. But we do do some things very well, and that is creating um, an environment whereby there are different people that are here from different places um, from around the world. And when we often think about culture in terms of the office, do we know the people that are a part um, of our organizations? Like, and maybe I shouldn't say this, but I will. Uh, getting to know the different cultures that you are working with is more than just at potluck. You know, it's not just what do you like to eat and what do you like to drink? Um, what kind of clothes do you like to wear? Those are real surface things. And yes, that's a part of understanding people's culture. But there's so many more unwritten rules that come along uh, with each kind of culture. Uh, so, for example, I remember I was watching a video not too long ago about a basketball player that had joined um, a basketball team. And I believe it was Pat Riley who was... Uh, the head coach at the time, and there was a, a particular uh, player that was on his team, and that player was really a great player, but he had some differences culturally as to how he would respond to leadership, right? So uh, I've played basketball before, and when the coach talks to you, you look him in, in his eyes, and that's his way of knowing that you are completely um, engaged in what he or she um, has to say. But this particular player, um, he wasn't looking into anybody's eyes whenever he would be disciplined because maybe he didn't follow through on a play or he was playing a little bit flat in the game when the coach would go and try and speak with him um, he he just didn't respond it didn't seem to be the most uh, effective way of communicating with him so Pat Riley I think it was um, sends uh, his assistant coach um, to the country of birth of this particular player so that he can meet his mother and father and um, get to know a little bit about the culture that's around him. And when he goes there and sees how he lives and sees that whenever somebody is talking, nobody's making eye contact, he realizes, whoa, this is not personal because of what we're saying or how we're saying it. This is just how they kind of sort of uh, do life. And this is a part of the cultural piece because sometimes I think we jump so quickly into trying to understand the organizational culture that we forget that we have to dig deep 
and go underground, deep underwater, deep diving, and we have to understand the culture of the people to which we are working with because some of our methodologies that we use, uh, how we express ourselves, how we get things done, may be a real infraction uh, to an individual that doesn't operate that kind of way. So, yeah, as a result of sending that coach to go and meet with this family, uh, this coach now comes back from that country, back from that uh, player's family, and he's able to inject and implement and impact in a whole lot of a different kind of way because he now understands what he has to do based on the culture um, that he's working with to make sure that he is successful. Now, that's just one player. <laughs> Uh, and the truth is, in our organizations, uh, especially if you are privileged to come from any space where you are working with people um, from around the world, you have to understand what are what are the value systems um, that people are driven by. Yeah, that that that's very important. Like, how is it that people view uh, the workplace? How important is the job to some people group? Because you know, in some places, your work is an extension of who you are and so therefore if you are um, heavily into um, taking pride into the work that you do then how you do everything is different than how somebody else does it that is there because they know that they've got to work they've got to get a check they've got to work in order to survive they've got to pay bills they've got families that they are responsible for and sometimes i think um part of this challenge as we're talking about organizational leadership is we want people to come in that we believe will embrace uh and capture the values um statements the the mission and vision of the organization and perhaps they interview very well but by the time they come through the office and they've got the swipe card and you've given them the keys and you've um, put them over to the cubicle and you've attached them uh, to a team lead or a supervisor or a manager or a VP after they've demonstrated that at the very least they can do the job um, it's not always that seamless because now what you've done uh, just as an example and I promise you I'm not sexist at all I've been led by both men and or women you've got this person who on paper uh, sounds like they will do really really well but you've partnered them on a team um, that has a female manager and this is a male that you've hired and so now no matter what happens whenever this female presence comes and they are trying to motivate or evaluate or push forward, this person always goes flat. Not because they're resistant and not because they don't desire to do well and not because they've lied on their resume or fibbed during the interview. It's just that culturally, how they do what they do is completely different than the structure that the organization has actually set up. And really, here's one of what one of the things that I think I'm, I'm trying to say here, and I hope you're capturing this, is you cannot begin to deal with organizational leadership without first understanding the people that you are putting to work side by side. And this is why um, 
this idea of DEI, and I think it's a great thing, um, but I don't think it's as simple as we are actually making it, this idea of uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. You know, a lot of organizations, they're just going out to find people that look like they fit the part. And yes, I know it's an oversimplification, but if you'll just bear with me in this conversation, when we think about DEI and we think about culture proper, how are you going to put uh, individuals uh, together that may or may not necessarily get along culturally with one another or uh, the value system, how you see men and or women is completely different? How, how will you get somebody who is young, young enough um, to be somebody's daughter? How do you get that parental type of person to respect them enough to say that you might be old enough to be my child, but you are old enough also to be my manager and give direction and give feedback. How do you put those worlds together? And so when we think about culture, I really do believe that the starting point for this conversation is understanding people. And not just the surface part, what did you do over the weekend? I'm talking about understanding people so that when you have to deal with them and meet the objectives of the organization, you're able to accomplish what needs to be done because you are clear on how to work with people. But not only that, you're also looking at the culture of the value system of the individuals that have been there for quite some time. And, you know, I think one of the scariest things um, for anybody that starts in an organization, especially if you want to be there because you've heard of, of all the great things um, that happen, I think it's also difficult um, to navigate organizational culture because when people start versus being 15 years in or even at the point of retirement, the mindset has changed. You know, when I used to uh, work for uh, a different company, you know, the conversations were always drastically different uh, depending on who you were talking with. And I had a chance to be uh, within the management team. And, and so I learned quickly, uh, everybody's not doing the same thing every weekend. Uh, so I remember for the college and, and university students, when they would um, think about what their weekend was going to look like, they were talking about going to the club and hanging out and doing something at the border or, you know, going sightseeing or going to the museum. So they worked for the weekend to spend their money on just having exposure to Canadian culture. They were out playing Frisbee with their friends. They were having barbecues. They were going to Maple Leaf games. They were going to uh, Raptor games. They were going to all kinds of things because where they were in terms of their own personal development, having fun is what you do on the weekend. Uh, but to the people who were a little bit older, in, in those days would have been in their 40s, on the weekend, they were just thinking about relaxing. They had family. They had children. Uh, they were living in homes, perhaps, where their parents were also. So on the weekend, they just wanted to relax. They weren't trying to go out and barbecue. They weren't trying to go to um, basketball games and Toronto Maple Leaf games. They just wanted to be somewhere where there was no pressure, no stress, just peace. 
And then, of course, for some of the other uh, employees that were also in the same workspace, because they were older, their conversations were, this weekend I've got to go and see mom and dad in the nursing home. i got to make sure that they're okay, or they're going to have a weekend pass, and I've got to take them home with me and take care of them because they're aging, or they would have to take them to hospital visits and uh, doctor's appointments, etc., etc., or they would say that, you know, um, I'm getting close to being uh, paid off my mortgage, and so therefore I can't afford to go, you know, out this weekend because I've got a plan to make sure that before I retire, uh, I'm debt free and I don't have all of these bills because once I walk through this door and say bye, thank you uh, for my career, my, 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 my budget is going to look different and so therefore my focus is different. And so yes, it's true that we look at the cultural piece in terms of where do people come from, but there's also an organizational culture where we have to recognize and understand that people developmentally are always going to be at different stages while they are working for your organization. And so if that is true, when we lead people within these structures that we call organization, we have to be clear on who it is that we are talking to. Because you know there are some people that will just quit, and it's not because you're demanding uh, too much. Um, it's not because you're unkind. It's not because you have not been um, uh, gracious towards them, but depending on what their value system is based on where they are currently in their lives, that may determine the type of output that you can get from them. And so if you are hiring and firing and bringing people into your organization, you have to also take a look at where, as, where is the organization currently? What is it that we are hoping to do? What are the type of individuals that we need uh, to get us to where we're going five years or 10 years, 15 years down the road? Because who you choose in those moments may, may be the make it or the break it towards what it is that you're doing because you cannot have the expectation that perhaps somebody that is at the end of their career, they're going to want to have a brand new assignment where they're doing all of these new things and creating all of this change because the truth is they're looking at the, the calendar. Uh, they're looking at the clock and they're saying, I only have five more years. I don't want to do another takeover. Um, I don't want to have to do another major shift organizationally. I just want to do what I'm doing because I know that I'm going to have a pretty good pension and I want to be able to walk away without all of the stress. And so that's why even when we think about this organizational thing and how we do what we do, when we decide as an organization to make changes and make shifts in how we do what we do, we have to find the individuals that fit that. And we're not just talking about personality type, we're talking about who can we ask within our organization to do very specific things because this is where we are shifting and this is where we are going. Long term, what ends up happening, if we are much more aware of what's happening within our organization, not just in terms of uh, the problem employee, not just in terms of the bottom line of these numbers, we've hit our numbers and so we are happy because what we hope to do, we've done that. No, we also have to think about what it is that we are trying to develop based on the workforce that we have uh, in terms of age demograph, but also culturally. And here's the thing, if we don't take seriously the importance of the people that are working with us and for us, 
um, long term, you may cause um, harm to your organization that you can never fix. Uh, because one of the things that I've also discovered is that sometimes some of the smiling faces that you encounter from Monday to Friday, they've learned how to smile and they've learned how to mask, uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they are fully engaged in this office culture that has been created, whether it's a brand new company or it's a company that has been around for a long time. They've learned how to smile, but it doesn't mean that we have captured um, their their passion for the work that they they will be doing because on a surface level we haven't even gotten to know them and so one of the things or one of the the, the, the kinds of people that I love to work with and for um, are individuals who know you uh, and when I say who know you uh, not just knowing if you have a spouse their name not just knowing uh, your 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 child's name not just knowing the things that you've done over the weekend but they also know you um, how you respond to some of the changes in the office. They understand you uh, so that on Monday morning when they come into the office and you are maybe not the brightest of who you are in terms of the energy level, they understand that that person isn't tired of working for the organization. They understand that over this weekend, you've had to spend almost 72 hours at the bedside of an aging parent. And so therefore, you don't have the en energy on Monday morning. It doesn't mean that you want to quit or you're dissatisfied with your job. It's just that you have other things that are happening. And this is where HR becomes so important. And normally when we think about HR, we think about uh, when you are hired or when there's a claim on your account, um, there's a lot of interaction that kind of way. Um, but the equivalent to the HR, uh, or maybe that is even uh, the supervisor or your manager, we have to know what's going on in your life because sometimes you've got to pull back a little bit. You know, we have to create an environment, I think, where we are so attuned to the individuals that are working with us and for us that before we make assumptions when perhaps somebody is not uh, operating at their 100%, we don't assume that there's something wrong because we also know that person inside and outside of the job. And I know um, not everybody is going to subscribe to going out to the bar after work and you don't need to. Uh, not everybody is going to want to bring families together so that your kids are playing with their kids. Uh, it doesn't always work that way either. But we have to be intentional at getting beneath the surface of the individuals that are working with us and for us to ensure that we are not adding to some of the, the, the natural pressures that come along with life. But here's the other thing that I don't know. Uh, I think some people do it better than others. Um, but if we're going to talk about this organizational structure thing, we have to be intentional to always make sure that we are getting ideas from those who work on the front line. You know, I think it is um, not a great thing when we assume that only our leadership team, they're the ones that have ideas. Uh, I've been leading long enough to know that it's the frontline workers that understand the pushback. They understand the resistance from those that they are dealing with, whether over the phone or in person. They have a greater sense of what the product looks like than those that are trying to implement the changes, um, having not been um, working on the front lines for quite some time. 
And so if you are a leader that has become so detached, and of course we talked about this in a previous podcast, you've got to get out of the corner office, not just once in a while, but often enough so that when you uh, hear that some things are maybe not going as well, um, you are clear on what some of the challenges are. And by the way, if you are clear on what some of the challenges are, it is your responsibility, our responsibility as leaders to make sure that we honor those that are taking the hits on the front line to understand A, what the issue is, and B, provide solutions if there are solutions. Because no answer or no news is not good news. Not when I've got to be working with you for eight hours a day and for, you know, every eight hours, every day I'm working with the same computer glitches, the phone's not working, I don't have information, you have not empowered me uh, to make some decisions, uh, you know, instead of doing this, let me speak to your manager piece. Uh, All of those things kind of come together because organizationally, If we are depending on our front line to give us the ideas and give us the feedback, uh, because you do know that most of the feedback comes from leadership to those that are, quote unquote, the subordinate, right? At the end of the month, you are speaking with them to see what their benchmarks are and whether or not they've hit their benchmarks based on uh, whatever this mission and vision and core value looks like. But I'm wondering, isn't there an opportunity for us to make some adjustments So that we are now also in those meetings asking those that are reporting to us, tell us, what can we do to make their experience better? Because here's the thing that nobody wants to talk about. If you don't have great frontline workers, then you are creating a culture that doesn't consider the individuals who are most likely to make your business thrive versus decline. Yeah, I'm, I'm still wanting to believe, and I, I hope that you're getting this sentiment uh, from me throughout these conversations that we've been having over the last year, that the most indispensable resource that you have in your company is not your vice president. I mean, he or she is very important because at that level, you are hoping that administratively they understand what's going on. But individuals that truly understand the culture of the company, remember there are more frontliners, frontline workers than there are individuals in management. So really the people that are um, carrying the culture and reinforcing the culture, it's not those that are in the corner office. It's the individuals that are out there on that smoke break, that coffee break, the ones that are going out after work to hang out. Those are the people that are the ambassadors for carrying the culture forward. And so really, in this conversation today, I'm saying we've got to do better at going a little bit further down with our fishing rods. You know, some people call it the iceberg theory. We've got to do better at not focusing on that small piece of ice that sticks up out of the water. We've got to go uh, beneath it. But then I also want to say this before we end our podcast. We've got to be okay and willing as leaders and thought provokers uh, to chisel away at some of the pieces that may be a part of the culture, but they've got to go. 
And this is the part of the conversation where courage has to become one of those core values that everybody embraces. We have to be courageous enough, number one, to speak up, but courageous enough to also say to ourselves, this thing is not working. And even though it may cost us a whole lot of money, we may have to change some things in our systems. We may have to go to a third-party consultancy group that is going to share and show us a little bit more about ourselves. It's worth it because some of the things that we do organizationally, they are toxic. And as a result of that toxicity that we have grown accustomed to working with, here's what's also happening. There are some people that won't leave because they cannot afford to leave, but they should be leaving. But on the flip side of it is, there are some individuals that because they've heard about the organizational culture, they won't apply. They're not joining our teams. They are not being interviewed. As a matter of fact, some of them are taking jobs where they're being paid less as long as they have peace. So, if you're listening to this conversation today, I wonder... Are you willing to do the catch and release, the cultural piece, the DEI, the talking to people, the understanding where they are coming from culturally, uh, the reinforcement of ideas that are unilateral, right? Meaning that they go one way and the other way. Maybe that's not unilateral, but you understand what I'm saying. Are you as a leader of an organization willing even in the hard conversations, are you willing to embrace the fact that this is not working and I've got to change? And it's important to make those changes because my front line is being impacted. So I got to get rid of that ego. I've got to put aside myself because at the end of the day, if we don't make these changes, then we are reinforcing the things about organization that are going to be the death of us. And instead of talking about what could have been, I'd rather talk about what can be if we are intentional to making some of these changes. My name's Andre Anderson, host and founder of BSTL, and this is part of building something that lasts. We want to build things by also breaking apart some things. Some things will have to be broken down to ensure that we don't do more harm than good. And if we are diligent at doing our part, I promise you, you will have a stronger organization because the people that work there, they are committed to working with and working for any organization that cares about them so that they also can care about the organizational structure. Until next time, I hope that you stay well. Enjoy the weather. It's going to get cool soon, but we're enjoying the summer as long as we can. Take care. And bye for now.